you're being seated, let's just um, acknowledge and give thanks to our amazing worship team. Um, they have been, uh, yes. For, for many in the room that were in, uh, wearing those red shirts this morning, uh, they led us in worship last night. They were here sort of mid-afternoon yesterday and really all the way through till today and are going to be here for a little while longer. And so just so thankful for their, their gift of sacrifice to lead us to the throne and um, what a gift that is. And I do want to encourage you that um, mark your calendars uh, as soon as you can. If you weren't able to gather with us last night for our summit kickoff, you missed a lot of fun, a lot of uh, time to work worship together. And so um, just remember when you start hearing about Summit 22, you want to get that on the calendar early so you can be a part and not miss our Saturday evening kickoff um, next year. Um, we are, uh, as we do sort of at the beginning of every fall, I said in the early service, I wasn't sure if we did this in 2020. 2020 is a little bit of a blur for me. I don't know if that's the same for you. Um, just as uh, kind of hard to remember exactly all that went on. And, but it's typical over our um, almost eight years as a church family that we begin sort of the fall calendar um, this uh, time of year. Each Sunday we lead off the year uh, with what we call Vision Sunday. And it's just really an opportunity for us to reflect and consider what is it that God is sort of, we believe, in just uh, leading us towards and pressing in, uh, us into, encouraging us towards as we look forward to the year ahead? And uh, you've heard, if you're not a guest with us, the folks that have been around for at least the last three or four weeks have heard over and over and over again us talk about building a culture of discipleship. And um, we want to be a church where disciples um, uh, serve and, 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 and uh, are a family together and also at the same time going and making disciples and pouring into other people and leading other people along with us. And so that is the vision. That's the direction that we're headed. So you can just know and be excited about this, that probably every Sunday, um, and I might fail to do this one or two times, but every Sunday in some way, we're going to talk about the idea of discipleship, and you're going to hear a lot of exhortations and encouragements to connect with people, to try to find relationships where you can be encouraged and walk as a disciple, but also you can be making disciples and doing that together. One of the things that we so often mistake discipleship, yes, this Sunday morning gathering and other times where we have teaching opportunities, are they're important, and they, they help help us in our faith. But the disciples, what they did with Jesus is they spent time with him. They spent time with him together as a group of people following him and hearing his word. And so too often we think of discipleship as just some sort of a knowledge transfer. And what we want to see happen in this church is us living and doing life together as disciples, as people yielded to Christ in such a way that we spur one another on in our faith. And then we multiply that. This is the vision. This is where we're heading for the year ahead. And that's what we want to see happen. If I think about discipleship, and you might be asking yourself, well, how would we define that? What does that really look like? And you need some more sort of tangible um, anchor points to look at that. I'm going to give you a definition for us. And this is what we use, and we're going to use. You'll hear this over and over again as a church. What is discipleship? It's growing in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Growing in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. We often think of him, and, and obviously part of our lives, we really rejoice in the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. He is the one who redeems us through his sacrifice on the cross. He is what that is through that, that we are welcomed into the family of God. But if he is Messiah, then he is going to be Lord. He cannot be Messiah if he is not Lord. 
Those two things go together. That's part of his name, all right? He must be Lord. And so we want to be a people who are growing together in submission to his lordship, that he is the authority, that what he says directs our lives. His word informs us more than the rest of the world and all of the other influences. And we have to ask ourselves, it's a worthwhile question on a regular basis. Am I growing in my submission to Jesus? Do I see, this is something that as we heard read from this text from Romans chapter six, there's a big word, a theological word called sanctification. And that means that we're growing in holiness. We're being made to look more like Jesus. That's what that means. And the way that we do that is that we submit more to the Lord. And so it's a worthwhile question to ask. Today, do I submit to the Lord more fully, more consistently, as is a defining my life, his lordship and my submission to him as Lord, more today than it was a week ago, six weeks ago, 15 years ago. Here's another way a friend of mine put this, and I love this. What is discipleship? It's putting people on a path to become in practice what they declare as truth to become in practice what we declare as truth. If I surveyed this room, many of you would say to yourself, yes, I am a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. I believe that the holy word of God is just that, the holy word of God, inerrant, perfect, sufficient, all that it says it is. And we believe that, and we would say that that is the truth. Do our lives, do the practices of our lives reflect that we believe that? See, as we grow in our submission to Jesus as Lord, what will happen is there will be practices, there will be things in our lives that reflect what we believe as truth. So often you might think to yourself, you know, I've I've talked to many people about this and had this conversation about why do we gather on Sunday mornings? Why do we gather together in the church as the church? Why is that a practice? Because it's a practice of what we declare to be true. It's consistently. And we believe, we say that the Holy Word of God is the truth. And we say that we are Christ followers. Do our practices, do what we do, do they testify to that? That's again, a worthwhile question to ask ourselves on a regular basis. And as we look at Romans chapter six, Paul is going to help us understand this sort of decision, this dichotomy between two ways of making it through this life. One is gonna be more painful and not going to lead to much joy and much life at all, and the other is going to lead to a lot of life, but there really are two ways. And we have to ask ourselves, we get to ask ourselves, which direction will we go? You know, there's this old saying, when we think about this idea of submitting to Jesus as Lord, there is a degree of commitment involved there. There is a commitment involved there that he is going to be Lord. And there's this old saying about commitment. The difference between commitment or explaining what it is, is kind of being involved and versus committed. The difference between involvement and commitment is this. The chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. In your breakfast this morning, the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. It took y'all a while to get that, by the way. (laughs) Nine o'clock was a hair faster, and they woke up earlier than you, so I'm not sure what's going on here. We need more coffee. The chicken's involved. He's a part of delivering that breakfast for us, but the pig is fully committed. 
So many of us, we like to be involved in Jesus-y things. That's a new word. We put some verses on our walls throughout our homes. We post a little bit on the Instagram. We even pray to Jesus before our sporting events. Jesus-y things. And because we do those things, then we're Christians. And that's fine. That's all there is. That's being involved. That's not a life of commitment. That's not a life living with Jesus as Lord. And to truly know Christ, if we truly know him, here's what I can testify, and I can tell you there's so many people in this room as I scan the room that I know their stories. They testify that Jesus is the Messiah of who he is. They believe in what he did for them, the grace and mercy that he showed in their life. And there is not some just type of involvement. There is a commitment. There is a life that says he is Lord. When we know Jesus, when we truly know Jesus, he will be Lord. There's no other option, as I said. He will be Lord of your life if you know him, if you understand what he has done for you. I want you to think about this. Many parents in the room, I use my kids as analogies often. They really hate it, but I just keep going with it. When my kids receive a gift of my kindness, I want to sort of be reciprocated. I want them to acknowledge that there was a gift there. I want that degree of appreciation that is involved. And when I have received a gift, when they, they give me gifts or they do something you know, for me, they bless me, they encourage me, they just show me their love, I reciprocate in some way. There's this acknowledgement because I believe that's what we should do. It's a value just in our family, just showing appreciation and gratitude for the things that we have, one another, not just tangible physical gifts, but just expressions of love and all those sorts of things. If you know Jesus, you know that you have no life apart from him. How can you do anything but live in complete submission to him as Lord? If you aren't living in submission to Christ as Lord, here's my encouragement. This isn't to make you, to, to beat you down. Here's what I want you to understand. You don't fully grasp what he has done for you. And if you did, if you truly understood what Christ has done for you, there would be nothing else for you to, to do but to live a complete life submitted to him as Lord. And if we all did that together as his disciples, and we saw one another as disciples to be encouraged, to be walked with, to sort of spur one another on in the faith, I can promise you this world would not look the way it does right now because we would be transforming the world as we loved one another and we spurred one another on in the faith. It would be a miraculous transformation. And this is why, this is what we pray, what we wanna see happen this year. So, lest you think that I've just made all of this up, let's get to the text, Romans chapter six, and see how Paul explains this decision, this sort of dichotomy. Just to give you a grasp of where we're at in, in Romans, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, and in chapter six, he's dealing with this issue of following the law versus the grace of God and living in sin and all of these questions. And it sort of begins, you're not gonna see this on the screen, but in chapter five, verse 20, he says this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Essentially, he says there, the law of God, you can think the 10 commandments, you can think really it's the, ultimately the whole entire law, the first five books of the Bible, their Old Testament, the law was given to reveal our sinfulness. You know you're speeding because you get pulled over. 
By the way, just as an aside, when we leave on Miller Road, don't speed. Um, they don't want to pull us over because they like us as a church, but they have to. So that was just a free aside. Um, I don't know. The law reveals our sinfulness. When we get pulled over, that's when we know, yep, I was speeding. Before, we kind of think, I got it figured out. Now they won't catch me. But the law was given to reveal. That's what he says, okay, to increase the trespass. But here, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There's no sin in your life, he says, that is not covered by the grace of God. What Jesus did when he laid down his life on the cross covers every sin, every sin for all time. There is not a sin that God has wrath against, right, holy wrath against that wasn't paid for fully through what Jesus did. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul has said this in chapter five. He knows his readers are going to begin to think to themselves, okay, Paul, so the law was given so that sin might be revealed to us, and every time sin was revealed, we then went and said, but look, the grace of God covers that sin, so here's what we should do. We should sin a lot so that grace could abound over that a lot more, and as we do that, glory, glory to God, right? Let's just sin, celebrate the grace of God, meeting all these sins, do whatever we want, and if we do that, God will be more glorified. And in chapter one of, verse one of chapter six, he begins this exposition. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I'm glad you asked that question, Paul says. By no means. Looking down to where we began, where Lane read for us in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Now, by no means, that if we don't really get the, the emphasis that Paul is making there. Um, this sounds like a little bit, if you have seen Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, and he's, he puts down his staff and he says, you shall not pass. That's Paul. By no means do this. If we were doing it in our own vernacular, we'd say, heck no, or something worse. But let's just stop at heck no, okay? That's how we would say. Are we supposed to sin just so that grace may abound even more? No. That's not what I'm saying, Paul says. That's not what I'm getting at. Here, let me unpack this further is what he says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? And here he gets to the heart of the matter. You and I have a decision to make. If we profess Christ as Lord, if we call ourselves Christians, we have a decision to make. Will we follow our flesh and follow what we are tempted and led to do? Or will we follow obediently the way of the Lord? Will we follow his word? Because here, you are slaves to the one you obey. Now, I know we don't think of it in that term. We don't like, especially, we don't like to think of it in that term. So the one I'm, a, the, whoever I obey, I'm a slave to that, yes. No matter what you do, there's no ability for you to overcome. That is a truth. That's, that's just the reality. If you obey consistently this person, that is who you follow. And here he defines it. He gives us the two options. We are either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or we're slaves of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Those are the two paths before us. There's not a middle way. 
See, too often, especially in the modern church, the modern Western church, we have tried to find a middle path. Let me see if I can sort of do what I want to do, live life the way that I feel like I want to live it, kind of just pursue the things and dreams that I have, and then let me come over here. I'm going to try to do a little bit of some things. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be obedient. I was raised to do this. And Let me just see if I can merge these two things. And Paul says, God's word says, that's not possible, friends. You will either be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you will be a slave of obedience, which leads to life. There's only two options before you. You can't try and figure out a way to have it both ways. That's not the way the world works. This is what we have to just come to a realization of. We are all slaves to something. And we decide so often with the decisions we make, with the way we decide to lead our lives, which we are slaves to. Are we slaves to sin, to our flesh, to the things of our own desire, or will we be slaves to obedience? I can tell you, you many of you know the testimony of my own life. I was a slave to sin. I didn't care at all about God. I didn't care about his ways. I didn't care what he thought about anything for a long period of my life. But then, verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Thanks be to God. We have been taught God's word. You have heard God's word. Thanks be to God. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. It's not a decision that you are, it is a decision you have to make, but you don't have to. You can choose to pursue righteousness. Look down at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. This is where he explains this a little bit further about this decision. I just said that in my own life, there was a time when I didn't care about the things of God. I didn't care about righteousness. As we read verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That's a little bit of a confusing statement, I'll admit. What is Paul saying there? This is what he's saying. He's saying what I just shared with you. When we are slaves to sin, when we follow the desires of our own heart and we just have no concern, guess what? We're free. We have no obligation to righteousness. You don't care about it. Think about your own lives. Perhaps somebody in this room, I'd expect there's at least one, if not many. You just, you're here, peering in as a guest or thinking about maybe who is this Jesus? What does he say? I want us to think about many of us who are Christ followers. Think before you knew Jesus. Did you care about the ways of God? Did it matter at all to you what Jesus had to say about anything? You've just proven Paul's point. We are either slaves to sin with no regard for the righteousness of God, no regard for pursuing him, no regard for any of those things, freed from the desire of righteousness, or conversely, when God has intervened, verse 17, thanks be to God, we who were once slaves, when we've been set free from that, we now consider righteousness and that calling on our lives something of value. Here's the gift of the Holy Spirit. I declare Jesus as Lord of my life. And yet there are times when as I go through life, I fail to keep him as Lord of my life. I allow my flesh 
creeps up. I make decisions that are rooted in my own desires, not his word, not what he would have for me. And the Holy Spirit of God brings conviction upon me because I'm a slave to Jesus, because I know him. And because I know him and because he loves me, he prompts me and he says, no, Ryan, that's not the right way. You've said you're mine. You are mine. I am gonna hold you and ensure that I get you through to the end. That's what Jesus does. This is the miracle at work. We have been set free. See, God is the one who sets us free. We didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to transfer myself. I didn't wake up one day and decide, you know what, I've been a slave to sin. I've just been following my own way. And all of a sudden, today, I've decided, now I'm following Jesus because I just decided to do that. No, the gospel was told to me, proclaimed to me, taught me, showed me, and, and through relationships with other people, and I understood who Jesus was, and one day I said, yes, I do believe that. And when God moved, I was set free from that slavery, from that bondage to sin. This is what we declare when Jesus, when we say he laid down his life, took up his life again. The good news of the gospel is he sets us free from our bondage to sin. He had victory over sin. And he sets us free in that. And he invites us into that. And so now, if we get down to verse 22, we're free to live. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. This is the beautiful thing. One of the reasons I think we struggle so often to keep Jesus as Lord, to live with Jesus as Lord of our lives is because we don't do it enough to see the fruit there. But I've heard testimony after testimony. I can tell you, if you go and ask any of the people in these red shirts, grab one of them, just put them on the spot. I give you permission to do that and make them feel a little bit awkward right after service and say, tell me about where you serve and tell me what happens when you do that. And here's what, more than likely, in some form or fashion, this is what they'll say. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just said, uh, he told me I had to do it, and I said yes to doing it, and then I've started doing it, and now God has blessed me in abundance. I just see so many good things. God is just bringing so much fruit in my life, and guess what happens? I want to serve him more. I want to do more. I want to live under his lordship more and more and more and more. The problem is, so many of us just stand back on the sidelines we want to be involved in Jesus-y things, but we're not committed. And because we're not committed, we don't see the fruit being bearing up. We don't see that. We don't get to taste that fruit. And Jesus is saying to you perhaps this morning, taste and see the Lord is good. He loves you. I shared it last night. What we do that brings him the most glory is always going to be what is best for us. It's going to be for our good. We're going to enjoy the goodness of God as we bring glory to him. And we've been set free we don't longer have, no longer have to be slaves to sin, but we can be slaves of God and see fruit born from that. What a gift that is. I know some of us, even hearing that, I, that word, being slaves, we wonder, why did Paul have to use that kind of language? Why does God define it in that way? Because there's no other option. As he said in the beginning, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one that you obey? Let me tell you, Paul introduced himself. Go look at his introduction to his letter to the Philippian church. Look at his introduction to the letter to Titus. 
He introduces himself as a slave. He was proud to call himself a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ, because he had seen the fruit. He had seen God use him and move in his life in such a way that he was able to bear the fruit of righteousness. And he saw this holiness coming up. Paul didn't do that on his own. That was a gift of God. And I've got to believe that if you're here this morning, in some way, something in your soul says, I want to know God. I want to please God. I want to, in some way, I want to understand what it is that he is doing. And here's what I can tell you what he's doing is, is he's saying, live for me, submit to me as Lord of your life, and there will be much fruit. And that fruit will lead you to joy and holiness and a life that you could never get on your own. That's what he says. And then he says this, the wages of sin is death. In this world, obedience to ourselves, living as slaves to sin leads to death. But you know this probably very well. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life. Here's the amazing thing about eternal life. So many of us think of eternal life and we think about heaven. Do you know what eternal means? It means always. It means unending. It means without beginning. Eternal life. That eternal life is now, friends. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience the joy of following Christ, the peace of following Christ, the holiness welling up. We don't have to wait. We can do that today. We get to live in that now because this is what Jesus does. He gives us eternal life. No beginning, no end that leads to all of these things. There is a fruitfulness that comes from that. This is what Jesus is inviting you into. And as we talk about discipleship and commitment to one another, this is what it looks like, that we would pursue Christ together and we would live in complete submission to him as Lord. Now, practically speaking, as we close, I'm almost done. This is what this looks like for us in this church. I shared with the group last night, this has been a little bit messy for the last couple of years, and we've been trying to figure out the best way to make it a little less messy but we have a thing in this church called Fight Club. Some of you have asked me before, what do y'all do for small groups? What does a, a community group look like? If you've been a part of other churches, you've heard that terminology. We use something, a, a, a phrase or a title that we call Fight Clubs. This is what a Fight Club is. It's me, two or three other brothers getting together, committed to getting together on a regular basis. And rather than getting together, and I, I expect you probably over the last week, I'd, I'd, I'd be shocked if you didn't have a meal, you didn't have some time with a friend or something like that. And rather than getting together and just sort of talking about the cowboys and all the other ridiculous things of this world, we commit to get together. And what we do when we get together is we start in God's word. We begin there. We say, this is our foundation. We're gonna open up God's word together. And then we're gonna figure out how this applies. We're gonna ask ourselves, what does this show us about God? What does this teach us about God? How does this remind me, affirm the gospel, the hope of Christ in my life? Third, then how do I apply that? How does that encourage my faith? How, do I, how does that help me be a better dad or a better mom, a better spouse, whatever the questions might be? But we start in God's word. And if we would commit to doing that together, spurring one another on, we're gonna see this fruitfulness multiply in our lives, I believe. And I've already seen this. I can tell you I've seen this multiplying in people's lives. Many people are already engaged in these types of relationships. And the reason it's messy is because we don't tell you or we haven't told you, show up at this time, at this hour, and we're gonna all do this together. 
It's been rather organic because what we know is that you have relationships already, some within the church, others in other places. These relationships, as you, these relationships, you come together and they form. You just say, we're going to commit to make this friendship anchored to God's word, centered on God's word. So what we're going to do to clean this up a little bit, I want to just share with you. September 12th, starting September 12th, for three weeks in a row, we're going to have what's called a fight club training. And that's for everyone. Don't, not, don't say, oh, that's leadership training. Or don't, ask, don't ask yourself, am I supposed to go to that? Yes, the answer is yes, you're supposed to go. Right now, you're all supposed to go. At 7 o'clock, we're going to come up here, we're going to meet and we're going to talk about this, and I'm going to, we're going to work together to understand sort of the nuances and some of the theology and why and the how we do this. And my hope is that that'll be a great place for us to come together, build relationships, connect with one another in such a way that we'd say, okay, now I know what I'm supposed to do, and I can go out and I can do that, and we can start to see these groups pop up all throughout our church. Here's another opportunity. We're going to have meetings this afternoon. You've heard us say this is Summit Weekend, and we're going to have every one of our ministry teams having meetings to talk about what they're doing and how those things, these individual ministries, students, kids, hospitality, care, these things fold into this vision of building a culture of discipleship. You go to one of those meetings, and here's what I can tell you. All these red shirts, another thing about them, they all know someone else in this church. And most of them have some good relationships in this church. Why? Because they've served together. And so as we embark in serving together and connecting with one another through service, relationships are formed. And those relationships then give us an opportunity to say, hey, you and I, we, I kind of enjoy, we have kids similar age, or I know it's just been cool hanging out with you. Let's meet together and open up God's word. That's a fight club. It's as simple as that. I know it's too simple to make it, sometimes we need it, 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 it should be more confusing, they would make it clearer, right? No, it's just simple. Just get together, open God's word, and submit together to the lordship of Jesus. That's what we want to see happen. So, as we grow together as a church, we believe if we pursue these things, and we pursue submitting to Jesus as Lord, and we do that together in relationship with other believers, we will also begin to put into practice more faithfully what we proclaim to be as truth. Let's ask the Lord to help us in that. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would move even now. There's some in this room who are wondering, what is, what is it that I should do next? What is the next step that I should take? They're listening for you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, move in their hearts and their souls and let them know and hear that you love them unconditionally, that you laid down your life for them. And would you help us all to say, we want to be slaves of Christ. Jesus, we want to worship you, live with you as Lord of our lives. So help us in that, Lord. Help us. Even as we meet together and talk about all of the various ministries in our church and various things, Lord, I, I pray that you would use these gatherings to just build relationships, form friendships. You do that. You bring people together. And then 
just give us um, just, a, just enough obedience to say, hey, we're going to commit. We're going to be fully committed to one another, to fighting sin together and fighting for one another. So would you just move, Lord, right now? Shape us. We want to be the church that you desire for us to be, Jesus. So accomplish your perfect and beautiful plans this year in and through us. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.